closing in What a life a mess can be well, I'm sitting here thinking of you Who won't you give your thoughts to me Well, time won't wait Better open the gate Get out the start needs to be done It's winding down There's much you miss Working on that graveyard shift we are recording. No, don't change whatever. You, no, don't change no, anything. don't change anything. Nobody change anything. Put it back, whatever it was. Ross, where did you Ross, go? Ross, Who's here? I'm not even moving. Who's here? <laughs> did, we just lose, did we just lose Ross? He's here. Ross, I just heard you. You were loud and clear like 28 seconds ago. Okay. <laughs> we are recording though, so if you want to fire it up, fire it up. Should we should we get started in the well, hopes that he's well, he is yeah. going to figure it out and come back to the conversation? Oh, this and is this this is this is banished to the pens NL Central show preview chat, and uh, this <laughs> this is uh, it's it's already been a, a pretty fun night here. You haven't heard it because. We've only been recording for the last minute or so. Uh, I'm here. I'm Brandon Lee. I'm with Banished to the Pet. Uh, we also have Eric Roseberry, who is of the On Baseball Writing podcast, as well as Baseball Perspectives. Hello, Eric. Hi, hello, Brandon. It is 12.30 in the morning. How are you? <laughs> That's it? It's only 12.30 in the morning? You know, a, uh, a week from now, it'll be like 1.30 in the morning. That's true. I'm just conditioning myself for a lot of West Coast baseball this year. True, true, true. Uh, we also have Alex Crisavoli, Alex from Viva Albertos. Hello, Alex. Hey, guys. Hey. We also have Amy's husband, Rob Maines, <laughs> over here from Baseball Perspectives. My lone hey. claim to fame. <laughs> a great claim to fame, by yeah. the way. If you if you Indeed. haven't heard if you haven't heard Rob on the uh, Fadeaway podcast. It is absolutely magnificent about Tim Raines' first game after collusion. It was, it's, it's fantastic. And we're, we're waiting for Ross Buckowitz, who is having some microphone issues, and he just refreshed the page. So he'll be back. Hey, Ross, how are you? Dang he just won't be back immediately. Yeah, he's not back yet. Yeah. Hey, hello? Hey. Yes. Oh, there he is. Ross, what's so- up? How's it going? I cur- it is going interestingly. <laughs> I currently, I'm currently using two sets of headphones. I love it because to talk to you guys, I have to have my headphones with the mic plugged into the mic jack. But then to hear you, I have to have a different set of headphones plugged into the headphone jack because those are separate on this computer. Yes, that happens sometimes on these modern computers. Hey, hey, Ross, did you know that Jose Batista is not Jewish? Um, I guess not explicitly. (laughs) (laughs) But what if, what if I also told you that Jose Batista is Jewish? I mean, that would be surprising, because I feel like not many people who are... Hispanic are Jewish, but like... What if I told you there were two Jose Batistas? Ah, uh, Brandon. 
That sounded like the start of a 30 for 30. <laughs> yeah, I did. And so, since we have everybody here tonight, we're going to go around the horn and get team previews for all the teams. Cardinals, Reds, Brewers, Pirates, and Cubs. And everyone has thought up some questions they'd like to ask the others, and everyone will get a chance to ask those tonight. I'll start it off with Alex, since he wrote the Cardinals team preview. The 30-second preview on the St. Louis Cardinals is they should be... <laughs> they should be decent to good. I think they will win around 90 games. If their pitching is as bad as Pakoda projects it to be, then it's going to be a very long season. And if Michael Waka cannot be a decent fifth starter, then it's probably going to be a very long season. But there's a lot of potential there as well. I really like Dexter Fowler at the top of the lineup. I really like Matt Carpenter. I prefer him in the two-hole, um, but he's probably going to bat third, whatever. I don't care too much, but I really like the top. really like the top of the order. I think they could be a fun team to watch. That's my 32nd. Wait, Alex, Alex uh, were you drinking tonight? I'm drinking a $5 bottle of Chianti from Trader Joe's. That's magnificent. You know, if you drink really cheap wine, when you have just moderately decent wine, it tastes really good. I'll start out. It's Rob. Um, Fireworks. I live up in uh, Yankees territory, and Uh one of the things that has struck me about Yankees fans is that Uh unless they win the World Series, they're never satisfied, and the last few years has made them particularly dissatisfied. One of the guys I know, at one point the Yankees had had a bad stretch, and he said, it's okay that they lose, but the way that they've been losing is unacceptable. And I grew up watching the Twins, who, you know, were on their way to a 100-something loss season this year. And I point out that you don't really get to pick how you lose. So my question is, if Pakoda's correct, it's currently projecting the Cardinals to be 76-86, and 86, the same record as the Brewers and only one game ahead of the Reds, what oh is God. the reaction going to be for Red uh, Cardinals Nation? It will be a bad reaction. A very bad, bad reaction. Uh, I, I think I think that might actually do it. I think that would get Mike Matheny fired. Um, people were reacting poorly to an 86-win season and saying the exact same thing uh, that your old Yankee friends were saying in that it's not so much that they lose, it is how they lose. Um, I agree with your point earlier, but I would also point out that there was some merit to this in that they were a very bad fielding team, a very bad base running team. Um, it was just kind of like this feast or famine offense. So when they were bad, they were very bad. And it did seem frustrating to watch. Um, a 76-win team, especially if you put that up against what I think we can all assume will be like a 95-98 to win Cubs team, that would not go over well at all. I, I think... Um, I think Matheny would be fired, and I think for the first time, Mosaic would actually start to feel some heat. Okay, but does the end justify the means? Don't you don't you want Matheny gone? Um, 
Not for that, no. I mean, I I don't want Matheny to be the manager, but at the same time, I don't think the manager matters that much to the point where I want to see them win 76 games. I mean, we did go to the World Series with this guy, so it is possible, you know. At one point, they were up 2-1 in the World Series in pretty good position to win the whole thing with Matheny as a manager. So it is possible. It's not ideal, but it is possible. So I'd much rather them be in contention for a wild card, be in contention for the NL Central than to have an awful season and it result in Matheny getting fired. Right? Isn't that the right answer there? Uh, sure, it's a right answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex, uh, how glad are you that Jason Hayward is bad at baseball? Well, I, I mean, personally for him, I'm not glad that he's bad at baseball. I, he, I like the guy. I'm glad that, I guess in an abstract sense, the Cubs might be saddled with a bad contract because it's hard to find any weakness on the team right now. So from that standpoint, it's kind of cool. But do I like to see a good guy like Jason Hayward struggle? Not really. On the other hand, if he has a uh, – what year was he really good? Was that 2012 where he was like a uh, – yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. If he has like a 2012 season that – and like the rest of the Cubs team is healthy, like, you know, they get like 600 plate appearances from Schwarber or something like that, then that team is going to be terrifying and I'll, um, I'll, I'll regret wishing him well, I guess. But, no, nah, it doesn't. It's nice to see them maybe uh, whiff on a contract like that, but I don't know. Uh, we we whiffed on Edwin Jackson, so that was uh, indeed, yeah. Good clubhouse guy, though. Yeah, yeah, I like Edwin Jackson, and someone and someone had to pitch all those innings. And might as well be him. Uh, I have, I, I, Alex, I have a player comment from the 2007 Baseball Prospectus Annual. I want you to guess. I want you to guess who this player is. Okay. This player's blistering postseason erased one of the 20 worst warp showings of the expansion era from short-term memory. That's a fancy way of saying he was a historically bad hitter, settling in at number nine between the pre-operation shutdown, but still just as miserable, Derek Bell of the 1999 Astros and Jerry Morales of the 1979 Tigers. Can you read the very first, like, seven words again? This player's blistering postseason erased one of the 20 okay. worst, okay. worst okay. showings of the expansion era. Is it Yadier Molina? Yes, it is Yadier Toilet okay. Molina. This leads to my <laughs> second question, which okay. is which is the over under on a for the, the total value of a Yadier Toilet Molina contract extension is fifty million dollars. Are you taking the over or the under? Do I think he will sign for more or less than that, or would I sign him for more or less than that? Uh, give me both. Give me, give me the would you sign him, and then give me the will he sign for. Okay. I would sign him for uh, more than that, but not much more. Um, it, he's not worth that much, but I think he's the type of player that you, um, you can afford to spend uh, a little, you know, you can afford to overspend a little bit to have him retire as a Cardinal. And, you know, Carson Kelly's only 22. It's not like we're stunting this guy's growth or anything. At least I think he's only 22. So, you know, that assumes that Yadier Molina will be um, fine. 
sharing a little bit of the catching duties with with Carson as he's uh, being developed. Um, do I think they'll sign him to that much? I really don't know. I think there is starting to be this narrative that the Cardinals are cheap, um, and I think they could really roll out some money to sign to um, to overpay him. Um, and th- that all assumes that his plans fit with their plans, meaning playing time and what they see as um, um, the transition from Molina to Carson Kelly, and they're on the same page. But if they are on the same page, I think the team is going to actually open the books and give him a, a contract that he probably doesn't deserve based on what he's going to produce going forward, but probably deserves based on what he's produced up until now. I mean, he was a – he was by – some measures a three win player last year. You know, he and he's was. he's thirty four years old catcher, caught more innings than anyone else in the national league. Um I think more than anyone else in baseball now that I think about it. I mean he's a really, really valuable player. Yeah. So the even if say they they overpay him for three years and they only get a year and a half of value out of that and the ultimate result is he ends up retiring as a Cardinal. I don't think anyone will be the least bit um, dissatisfied with the, that outcome. I can dig that. Yeah. I find your answer I find your answer acceptable. But Brandon, you know what really excites me? What really excites you, Alex? Cubs fans are now exempt from ever making fun of Cardinals fans about Yadier Molina after how they treated David Ross. Um <laughs> This past season, uh huh. I think we may have talked about this before, but and I'm there's nothing wrong with the way they treated David Ross. I'm just happy that they can no longer make fun of Cardinals fans for the way we treat Yadier Molina. Yeah, I was. I think I felt as though the David Ross love is uh, it. It it felt to be about three steps too far. Yeah, he um, got the old, he got the old guy love. Yeah, he That's he fair. got. He got the old guy love, and I think the the whole ending your ending your career on that note thing was was like was perfect, right? But I I, I feel as though it might have been a little much leading up to then. But but what what are you gonna do? I I like the guy, and 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 we the Cubs won the World Series, so whatever, it doesn't matter. Fair enough. Ross, do you have a Cardinals related question to throw out? Uh oh. Oh no. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> we lost Ross. Should, should we move on to. Um, Just keep going. Sorry. Keep going. Sorry. Oh, there he is. <laughs> I had muted my mic because this whole two <laughs> headphones thing is really uncomfortable. And I just forgot to unmute it. Still here. Okay. okay. So you had mentioned this in your. Um, preview today about having lost Alex Reyes to Tommy John surgery. Yeah. He looked to be at least the sixth starter this year, even if he did not break camp with the team. Um, Where is the state of rotation depth? Because as you mentioned before, you've got Adam Wainwright, who's 35, two years back from Tommy John, and Lance Lynn's trying to come back from Tommy John. Uh, that does really seem like the weak point of the team that might actually make that 76-win uh, projection come through. Is that kind of how you're seeing it play out? Or Well, 
First off, Wainwright is actually two years ago he tore his Achilles. The Tommy John was in yeah. 2011. Oh, yeah. um, I, I was at that game actually. It was really sad. Uh, yeah, it was not not good. Um, so to answer, I guess your initial question, I'm guessing Carlos Martinez is going to get the ball on opening day. Then Adam Wainwright, Mike Leake, Lance Lynn, and Michael Walker will be that fifth starter. If you know, if, if Waka can pitch like he did two seasons ago, which I don't think is out of the question. If you look at his, if you, if you look at his FIP compared to his ERA, he wasn't as bad as his run prevention numbers suggested. Um, but let's say Michael Waka is finished as we know him. Um, the people they have waiting in the wings would be a guy like Luke Weaver, who. Um, Keith Law, I, I believe, is the one who's pretty high on Luke Weaver, and he had some starts last year. Um, he was pretty underwhelming, but he also showed a lot of promise. Um, they also have a guy named Tyler Lyons who's coming back from a knee injury, um, but should be healthy, I think, by May. Um, they're also messing around with Trevor Rosenthal, whether that's starting him, or I think they're trying to groom him to be almost like an Andrew Miller-type pitcher, at least the way Andrew Miller was used once he... Um, went over to the Indians. Whether that comes to fruition with Matheny, I don't know. Um, you know, these are all very fringed starting type pitchers, but I mean, we're talking about the fifth starter as well. So, yeah, it, it's not a dominant rotation just staring at it, but I think it has a chance to be really, really good. Um, I, I think a lot of it hinges on Lance Lynn as well. If he can go return to the innings horse he was two years ago, throw 200 innings, that's going to be huge for this team. If they're trying to find a different guy each week to be that fifth man in the rotation, then it's going to be a long season, and it could be 76 wins. Although I I really can't. like I, I could see this team winning 96 wins before 76, but maybe I am just ridiculous. Yeah, ninety six might be. <laughs> ninety six is a lot. All right, all right. Let me let me say uh, ninety. Will you give me ninety? I think he started with ninety, right? I predicted ninety one, but I always go higher on those bands to the pen one previews. If I had to really guess, I would say right around eighty six or eighty seven again. Does that does that get you wild card? Uh, maybe. I mean. You know, that seems usually a record that's right in the thick of the wild card, so perhaps. All right. All right, thanks, Alex. That's 80, 86 wins for the Cardinals? Uh, give them 90. <laughs> okay, give them 90. You know who's not going to win 90 games? Who's that? The Reds probably aren't going to win 90 games. Uh, Eric, uh, if last year was the best season to be a Reds fan, what is this <laughs> season? <laughs> uh not um yeah so last year they won 68 games uh this year uh, one, one short of a nice uh, one short uh this is kind of a transition year so the big off-season news was the Brandon Phillips trade uh where they finally got him to agree to a deal to Atlanta where they're eating 13 of his 14 million dollars this season um, but that does open up for you're going to see a lot of younger players this season. Jose Peraza is going to be an everyday player this year. Uh, with that, I think the big question mark is the starting rotation. You've got three 
prospects, two of whom were up last season, uh, Robert Stevenson and Cody Reed, and then Amir Garrett, who's coming, who uh, are going to have a lot to say about what this rebuild looks like. So a lot of fans are paying attention to that. Uh, Joey Votto's still there, so there's something worth paying attention to. But I think the two big storylines this season are, is Devin Mesoraco forever broken, and is Homer Bailey forever broken? And if so, uh, that is going to be a problem moving forward. In, in, the, uh, in the 2007 Baseball Prospectus Top 100, Homer Bailey was the number four pitching prospect. Or the number four prospect overall, sorry. Homer Bailey is about... He's still going to get paid a lot of money over the next handful of years. Uh, Let's see. I was going to pull up that contract to make sure I get it right. So this season, Homer Bailey is going to make 19. uh, And then in the next three years, he'll make 21, 23, and $25 million. Uh, And he is already out from surgery in the preseason. Uh, It sounds like it'll be June before he's potentially back at the earliest uh, and he will forever be the pitcher the Reds decided to keep instead of Johnny Cueto in the eyes of a lot of fans. Is is that an accurate assessment of the Reds at that moment? Yeah, they didn't completely line up, but I mean, if you looked at the two, uh, Bailey was coming off uh, some really successful seasons. He's a big guy, had good stuff. It made sense. Um, and yeah, he's had three surgeries on the same elbow since signing a six-year, $105 million contract, and it just has not worked since he got that money. Eric, I'm looking at their starting rotation right now. Yeah. And I'm looking at pitchers two through five. Yep. And here we have Scott Feldman. Uh, yep. Brandon Finnegan. Yeah. Tim Adelman. And Robert Stevenson. So I'm going to okay. say those last names again. Feldman, Finnegan, Adelman, Stevenson. Three of them end with A-N. One of them <laughs> ends with O-N. Is this by design? I don't believe so. It could be. Uh, Dick Williams has taken the reins now, so maybe he just has a, a thing for uh, names that end with that. Yeah, Scott Feldman was their one of their only free agent signings. He's been a average to a slightly above average starter the last few years so he'll eat some innings uh yeah i don't adelman and uh i mean there's a few guys that can trot out there if they just want to not attach the young arms but uh stevenson has for a long time been a, a a pitching prospect pretty highly regarded but since he's been in the majors he struggled control's always been a problem and I think fans have started to sour quite a bit on his prospects as the top of the rotation guy. They were hopeful he could be. I have um, I have one last Reds question, um, and that's if I want you to fill in the blank. If the Reds don't start winning by the year blank, people will start losing their jobs. Twenty. 18 the front office has targeted 2018 as that's when they want to be competitive again okay i think they probably get a year i would say if they're not competitive by 2019 you will start to see some people lose their jobs okay so when when scott feldman is traded at the deadline do you think the reds return will be closer to 
Lupe Chavez, who the Astros got for him from the Blue Jays last season, or closer to Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope, who the Cubs received for him in 2013. I am assuming not Arrieta and Strope. Uh, I will. I mean, one of the things they had luck with last year is they signed Dan Straley super late in the offseason uh, and were able to turn him into a couple of... I mean, the Marlins farm system wasn't deep, but fairly highly regarded prospects from that system for a guy who kind of pitched out of his mind last season. So I think that trade in particular has given the front office some goodwill with fans seeing how they pulled that off. Uh, You know, while we're talking about pitching, Eric, last year the best bullpen in baseball was the Astros with, this is by (laughs) Fangraphs War, 7.9. The Reds, as you know, were record-setting at negative 3.6. Where will it be this year? Uh, it'll be better. Um, it has to be. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, they were the second half of the season. They weren't nearly as bad as the first, and part of that was Rizal Iglesias and Michael Lorenzen came back. Uh, right. So those two by themselves will make it better. They signed Drew Storen in the off season. Uh, I think between those three guys, uh, it would almost it would be it would be impossible for them to be as bad as they were last season. Uh, but if those three guys are healthy. It it will be leaps and bounds better than it was a season ago. What what in war? Oh, uh, positive. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> I would just be happy with positive. Over, over under zero. Over under zero. It has to over. I'll go over. I lived yeah, a lot last season. Got to be. How about how about over under five? Uh, probably. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Under. I'll I'll go I think yeah, I'll, I'll take the under. Okay. Yeah. B- by the way, I I don't mean to interrupt, but can you all look at the uh, uh, link I just sent you on the Zencaster page? Um, I was about to say Team Korea is in midseason form, but one, I don't even know if that's Team Korea, and two, um, I don't know if midseason form would even be. Uh, <laughs> it is a great play. <laughs> Can someone explain what's going on here? Who wants to narrate this play? There's a batter on first. Yeah. Uh, there's a runner on first. The batter laid down a bunt down the first base side. The pitcher came in, handled it, threw the first where there is absolutely nobody there to get it. There's no one anywhere near the bag. The first baseman, pitcher, and catcher all converged towards the All run to the bag. And And as Rob Rob says, the pitcher fields the ball and throws it right to where someone should have been, but there is nobody there. Um, It's it's definitely the first baseman's fault. (laughs) The second baseman is nowhere in the frame. (laughs) The first baseman's not holding the runner on, so that means there's a runner on second. With a runner, with runners on first and second, the first baseman is almost certainly not supposed to. Wait, no, hold on. Let me third base. <laughs> no, it's the second baseman's fault. Damn yeah, it! No, he's still yeah. It. yeah. No, I yeah, played second no. base. I was trying to save it. No, it's definitely the second baseman's fault. Yeah, it to... was. It was the wheel. They were supposed to run the wheel play, but they thought it was a daylight play, and <laughs> it, just, it just didn't end well. 
It's a nice throw, though. It's right down the right field line. Yeah, perfect throw. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to link to this in the, uh, when the podcast goes live. We, because this, we is, will. this is wonderful. Wonderful. All right. I think, I think that's Batista rounding first, though. <laughs> uh, the, not, the Jewish Jose Batista. Right. Yeah. Okay. Ro- Ro- Ross, do you, have a, do you have a Reds-related story here? Uh-huh. It was worth it. Uh, yeah, um, before I do that, I'd like to point out the 2016 um, Baseball Prospectus Annual comment for Scott Feldman noted uh-huh. that the Astros only signed him to get people to shut up with the fact that the Astros payroll could barely cover the price of a scalp Taylor Swift concert ticket. And I just <laughs> like when Taylor Swift comes up and thinks. Oh. Okay. Now, where was I? I have some notes around here somewhere. <laughs> you took notes on the Reds? No, I, I jotted down some question ideas just in case uh, somebody stole mine, like with the uh, sarcastically asking about the Reds' bullpen. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, no, it's okay, Rob. It was a good question. Um, I do believe a episode of an NL Central show from last year that featured myself, yourself, and Alex, we discussed Adam Duvall. Yep. Is there any chance that he can repeat and be a low OBP masher that mashes enough to be useful? Uh, I I don't expect him to repeat what he did last year. Uh, I mean... He really cooled off in the second half and I think was a lot closer to what he's going to be. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because one of their top prospects is a left fielder who doesn't have a ton of power, but he's going to start pushing into the uh, the lineup hopefully this season. But, um, I mean, I don't think he'll hit 33. It wouldn't surprise me if he sticks at 20, 25 home runs and uh, – kind of hangs around there but I mean he finished with an OBP under 300 even with the home runs um, there's kind of a limit to what he is so I mean it was a nice story at the first half of last season but I don't think anyone's hanging their hat on him being a middle of the order bat for much longer he fell off a cliff in the second half I definitely know that his BABIP dropped like 100 points from that point that, from the, when we had that discussion to the end of the year. Because I, ex- I remember making a joke about a bad mid-2000s hip-hop song during that, uh-huh. and then you and Alex just kind of not reacting and I'm sure staring at me blankly through the internet. <laughs> uh, BP has Duvall at basically the same, same line. 240, 297, 486. Speaking of outfielders due for progression towards something, uh, I want to throw it over to Rob to talk about another outfielder who uh, might be due some uh, progression this season. Um, and the the most most of my question here is not about Andrew McCutcheon and the Pirates, but rather uh, where do you think Andrew McCutcheon will be playing on opening day 2018? 
because it seemed like he was awful close to not being on the Pirates for opening day 2017. Uh, logic would have suggested that he uh, would have gone to the Nationals, but yeah. they gave that package for what I think is arguably, well, a lesser center fielder, but with a better contract. Um, well, you know, the Mets always make sense. I think he can make a case for the Giants. The problem is where he's going to go in 2019 and the likelihood that he's going to, you know, the, the feeling was until last year that he was going to, you know, hit the jackpot in 2019. I think there's got to be a little bit of a concern among McCutcheon's camp that, as you know, after the 2018 season, he got an insane free agent class. And there might not be a lot of room for a guy who's no longer a center fielder, who may be on the decline uh, part of his career. But um, the Pirates will, I think you you said, if, if not during the season, then certainly during next um, offseason, be looking to move him. I don't see how they can sign him, even if they really wanted to. Um, and the logical assumption would be that he'd move to a team that's got the ability to write a big check to avoid the inevitable free agency filing after the 2018 season. And, you know, the Giants kind of fit that bill. It would make sense, you know, he would make sense, to be honest with you, for the Mets, but the Mets would have to clear out all the other clutter they've got in their outfielder, in their outfield, and I don't, I don't see that happening. If you look at McCutcheon's splits, he picked it up a little bit in the second half last year. In fact, was a pretty decent player in the second half last year. Is there are are we are people overreacting to to his season to his 2016? Yeah. Well, he was hurt. He had a thumb injury at the beginning of the year, and nobody really knows for sure how long that lingered. And mm-hmm. as you know, thumb injuries can affect a batter. Uh, for a long time, and I think that's probably what entered in. On the other hand, you know, he is a year older. Right. Um, Pakoda is actually pretty optimistic about him. They've got him at 292, 382, 494, so it's almost back to the 300, 400, 500 line that he had for a number of years. Uh, That might be a little uh, optimistic, but if he can stay healthy and this is we're not talking about an injury prone guy here if he can stay healthy i think he could get somewhere closer to that the move to right probably helps too in terms of wear and tear on the body okay and and my last question on the pirates i i think most people think see the pirates as being um possibly a wild card contender can you navigate a path to where they win the NL Central? Can't be um, impossible. How, how can it happen? Yeah, there used to be a joke that when the Cubs would have good seasons, that, where they start the season well, and then this was before they put in lights, they'd always kind of fade in the summer. And the joke yeah. was always that some Cubs fans said that the team should move to move to the Philippines where they could be renamed the Manila folders, and there's a joke that somebody said that, you know, a Cubs fan, a Cubs fan watching the team's annual summer swoon suggested that the team move to the Philippines where they could all catch dysentery and die. I think 
that's the way that the Pirates pass okay. the Cubs. I mean, you have to have a lot of things go wrong for the Cubs. The things that would go right for the Pirates, I'm not, I'm not that optimistic about this season because I think the the entire starting rotation is just question mark after question mark. If I'm wrong about that, if Garrett Cole comes back um, from kind of an injury marred year, if Ivan Nova is the guy that the Pirates had for the last couple months of the season rather than the one that the Yankees had for the first few months. If uh, Jamison Tyon is as good as he seemed to be, if Tyler Glasnow can come up and pitch well, they, they could be a pretty formidable team. The offense shouldn't be a problem as long as nobody gets hurt and as long as uh, Jung Ho Kong doesn't uh, have some sort of team suspense, suspension for all of his DUIs in Korea. Um, they could put runs on the board. But for them to really exceed what Pakoda's got for them, which is 80 and 82, uh, they're going to have to get more from their starting rotation than I think is likely to happen this year. Okay. Rob, you worried about Garrett Cole at all? Um, no, just because, I mean, he was hurt last year, but... Sort of like McCutcheon, this isn't a guy who's been particularly injury-prone in the past. You know, it's possible that we've just been lucky so far with him, but um, you can chalk up his, I think, a lot of his ineffectiveness to being hurt, and when he hasn't been hurt, he's been a pretty effective starter. Um, I'm looking here. Pakota isn't all that optimistic. They've got him at 2.3 warp and a 376 ERA, but they've got him starting 29 games, and if he can be, you know, a 30, 31 game starter, I would expect a little bit more of a snapback than what uh, than what Pakota's got. While we're on the Pirates, I'm sending you all another link to um, one of my favorite things ever, and it's uh, Angry Pirates Fan from last season. Um, I just sent it. Do you all remember this guy? It was in the opening series of the season. He's the angriest man I've ever seen. Yeah, didn't. Well, I know we. I know the Pirates won the first game of that. Oh, they won. They swept. They swept. Oh, yeah, the that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I don't even know why he's angry. Well, I, I can see in the lower right hand corner it's tie game. Yeah, his ties. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, Mark Melanson did did not get the the right call there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's, he's he's maybe he's expressing dissatisfaction with the umpire. <clears throat> Ross, you got a pirates question? Yeah. So maybe this question's probably. Uh, Informed by how much I watch NFL, the NFL, but with moving McCutcheon off center field, is there any? Has there been any worry that he's going to you know cause a stink in the locker room, or was that more of an, or was that amicable? Because I know it, with the NFL, there's kind of a saying that if if you're looking to restructure a guy's contract, you better be ready to cut him. So maybe I'm trying to apply it as if you're looking to move a guy out of the set, the middle of the diamond, you better be ready to trade him. Or is he kind of taken that move well, knowing it'll preserve his career to some extent? 
Well, you know, that's that's a good question. They're, and they're moving everybody. Although Mar- Marte's moving from left to center, which he has played before. I don't know that Polanco's played left before. And, you know, as you said, uh, McCutcheon's moving to right. The day after it was announced, he posted a on Twitter a picture of Roberto Clemente with no comment, which was widely perceived, I think correctly, as being pretty class act on his part. You know, saying, hey, I'm moving to the field that Roberto Clemente made uh, famous. But when they reported to Camper, it might have been just before, there was an interview of him where they asked him about the move and whether, you know, what kind of consultation he had had with the club. And he said that management hadn't spoken with him at all prior to, you know, telling him he was moving. And, you know, I think this was on, I can't remember what the MLB Network I heard this, and he said, well, what conversation do you really have? Because you run the risk of saying to a guy, yeah, we want you to move to right. And he says, I don't want to. Um, so it sounds like there could be a little bit of, uh, you know, friction between McCutcheon and the front office. But it would be such a 180 for him to be any kind of problem at all with the clubhouse. He's widely regarded as one of the best guys in baseball. So, you know, whatever problem he's got with the front office, we could see it, if he stays a pirate, we could see it playing out after 2018, but I don't see it really affecting him in the field. And in fact, the move to right at PNC Park really does make sense for him because it's not a really deep right field, so his arm, which isn't great, it's not bad, but it's not great, won't be that exposed. Um, and made more sense than there's a huge left field, and Polanco can cover more ground. All right. On a prediction, Pakota's got him at 7880, or I'm sorry, at 80, 80 and 82. I'm not as optimistic because I think that the rotation is a lot of question marks. I think we're looking more at 77, 78 wins. They've got some good young pitchers who, especially if Glasnow can make a big step forward and start throwing some more strikes, that could set them up well for 2018, but I don't think 2017 is going to be a playoff year. Speaking of teams that aren't quite looking at playoff years, um, I do Uh want to throw it up. I just want to throw it over to the Brewers. And I think my my question is, when when do you think, Ross, when do you think the Brewers are going to be looking at playoff contention? And I would say that to be within five games of, of a playoff spot to end the season. Are, are we talking a real playoff spot or the play? Well, I think I think uh, being I think being within five games of the uh, of the play-in game in September is you know you're you're moderately close enough to keep people excited to go to games. All right. Well, I think if everything were to break perfectly, they could be within five games this year. More realistically, I would say next year, 2018, is the year. Um, if you look up and down the lineup, you've got Andrew Susek, Jonathan VR, Orlando Arcia, Keon Broxton, um, even Domingo Santana. You have a lot of youth up and down that lineup yet. And then there, there's still more coming where Lewis Brinson, I think, is the probably... 
won't he won't necessarily be the fourth outfielder to start the year, but if somewhere to someone were to get hurt or struggle enough, he'd be up. He's a top prospect. Um, uh, they've got you know a pretty well lauded farm system. Um, I know it's been ranked at least in the top ten and right around in the top five by most of the top prospect um, ranking sites. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, and even behind Brinson, you've got Brett Phillips, who should be in AAA this year. He's another center fielder. A um, little bit lower down, Corey Ray, again, another center fielder. Isan Diaz, who, as a shortstop last year, last year led the Midwest League in home runs. Um, Lucas Erceg, who was a, he's a third baseman that um, was at Cal until some uh, behavioral issues made it for the best that he left. The only issue with that might be the pitching staff where um, of the younger guys, the only one that's really kind of shown his ability, shown some major league abilities, Zach Davies. Um, after that, you've got Jimmy Nelson and Willie Peralta who kind of haven't lived up to their prospect status. I know Nelson hasn't had as long of a track record, so there's some hope there. Um, Jorge Lopez is probably the next in line for prospects, but he completely kind of fell apart last year, probably due to having to pitch in Colorado Springs, where he's kind of fastball curveball. And then Josh Hader's next in line after that. And there's a pretty big split with him where some some folks think he can start, but he kind of has that low, low three-quarter sling where uh, some people, Keith Law, most um, notably, I think, believe he'll be um, a reliever rather than a starter. But I think, yeah, once you take what they've got already in the majors and coming soon, I think 2018 will be the year to be kind of on the fringes of contention, and then 2019 will be the year that they're seriously competing for a wild card. Hey, Ross. Hey. I want you to name one player on with the cons- Brewers. No, in all, in, in all of baseball. <laughs> yeah. That, that actually might be a better question, but I like this question, too. One player in baseball with consistently worse facial hair than Matt Garza. Um, there is no one. <laughs> yeah, there is no one. It, that, is, that is an answer. The, with between the Count Chocolate beard and just the whole being Matt Garza, yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> think anybody can be top for terrible facial hair. It's really bad. It, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it's been bad for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you know. If you're saying consistent, yeah, yeah. I think Colby Rasmus has his has <laughs> yeah. that is that's a good answer. I, I I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rasmus is always good in categories like this. Uh, Garza, though, yeah, like I said, for as long as I remember him, he's looked bad. Yeah, see, Colby Rasmus <clears throat> at least had the good sense to shave that beard at some uh, recently. Matt Garza's been rocking this look since. I don't know when he was on the Twins. Yeah, he so he definitely got a look when he was on the Cubs. Yeah. 
So yeah, I I I think Garza probably has the the um the title of worst facial hair in baseball now that um at least consistent like Rob noted um since Rasmus will occasionally shave his uh, monstrosity of the beard. Hey Ross. Hey Eric. I have a question. Okay. Would you put Keon Broxton's strikeout rate this season over or under 50%? Oh, so this is the crux of the matter why uh, Jeff Sullivan got a little ahead of himself when he named Keon Broxton the Brewers' best player a few weeks ago. Um, I think almost by default it has to be less than 50%. <laughs> Just because that's a lot of strikeouts. But he's going to whiff at least in the mid-30s. My. Uh, For point of reference, it was 36.1 last season. Yeah. I'm about to compare that to Javier Baez's first. You guys go ahead. I'm curious about this. I was going to say, and this is... um, It's not just that he's a hacker, which there are some contact issues there, but he also takes um, quite a few walks, so he's normally deep in counts anyway, and once you mix being deep in counts with the low average contact rates, you're going to see a lot of strikeouts. He did have a 354 OBP. It wasn't all bad. Yeah, but that 354 OBP came with a 373 uh, BABIP. Which he's got the type of speed, and um, he's kind of that right-handed hitter that can hit for enough power that, um, I don't know if that actually helps with Babbitt, but I know that's supposed to help with uh, the reach on air, which obviously doesn't be included in OBP, and he, he is fast and um, does hit the ball with some decent velocity, so I think he could be the type to hold a slightly above average um, um, BABIP going forward, but when you're striking out 36% of the time, you are definitely in range of it doesn't really matter how much you walk and how much power you hit for, you might not be a very good hitter anyway. Well, Ross, um, Javier Baez in 2014 had about the same amount of plate appearances, and he struck out 41.5% of the time. Um, And just two seasons later, last season, he brought it down to 24%. Still pretty high, but huge improvement. So I think there's reasons to be optimistic. Even though Baez had a worse uh, strikeout rate his first year in the majors, I believe he was, what, 22 in that season and was coming from a better that's prospect a, pedigree anyway. That's a fair point, yes, both of those. He, Keon Braxton was playing in his um, age 26 season last year. So I don't have as much hopes for him to cut down greatly. I mean, he might be the type that would benefit from... Um, not worrying about working the count and just going up there hacking so that he's not putting himself in those uh, situations where he's deep in a, a count, but... That's the Randall Gritchick. That's the Randall Gritchick approach. 
Yeah, it, just go up there and swing at the first swing pitch away. and you can't strike yeah. out. Well, you still can, but... Well, yeah, if you keep missing them, but... Hopefully you can hit one out of three, right? Okay, Ross, since uh, Eric's sort of tread all over my uh, Brock's question I was going to ask you, uh, let me turn around your question to me about Andrew McCutcheon. Is Ryan Braun still wearing a Brewers uniform by the end of the year? Um, I think almost certainly. Um, he already has a limited no-trade clause where he can block um, trades to every team except Arizona, the two L.A.s, Miami, San Diego, and San Francisco. And four of those six teams have no interest in trading for him anyway, uh, with, I'd say, Arizona... Miami, San Diego are in rebuild modes. I guess L.A. is not necessarily rebuilding, but they don't have any sort of farm system to be trading from. You mean, the L- you mean the L.A. Angels? What did, did I say, Anaheim? No, no, no. You just said L.A. Oh, but, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the but, Angels don't have any sort of farm system. And, but the other L.A. team. <laughs> yeah, that the Dodgers have plenty of... Um, uh, prospects that they could use, they could trade from, and would very easily be able to take on any sort of salary that the Brewers might want to shed. But and it seems th- like they've been connected to Braun. I think that's at least been somewhat because he's that's a team he can be traded to since he's from southern the Southern California area. That's why all of those uh, teams are on there. Um, but they don't really seem to have all that much interest in going after him. It's, I think it's more of a, from the outside looking in, it, it, it looks like it would make a lot of sense, but from the Dodgers' perspective, they don't actually want to. And then, the big, even bigger than that limited no-trade clause is that Ryan Braun gets his 10-5 and five rights in the middle of May. So if he's not traded by uh, May 14th, which at this point, I can't really foresee that happening, there's a very good chance that he just kind of stays in Milwaukee. And I think um, even without the potential difficulty of these trades, the Brewers are finding his market to not up, to be up to their liking just because he's got... Um, there's obviously the whole steroid allegations from a few years ago, or steroid um, suspension from a few years ago, and that he's got a somewhat long injury history the past few years. I know he's got that uh, nerve thing in his thumb that requires pretty constant maintenance, and he's had um, quite a few problems with his um, with back spasms in the last few years, too, so even though he's not really, you know, he's maybe slightly overpaid, um, between some baggage, some injury risk, and the contract, the market form isn't to what the Brewers want, and I mean, Mark Antanasio has more money than he's ever going to know what to do with, so I don't really think he's too worried about carrying Braun's salary through the rebuild, especially when the club payroll's only, I think, about 55 or $60 million right now anyway, including Braun's $20 million. But I actually think there's a good chance he stays in Milwaukee. But I really don't mind that. I, I don't think it's the worst idea to keep at least one veteran around through a rebuild anyway to 
you know, maybe not necessarily be like some kind of vocal leader that veteran presence is that great or that important, but at the very least, when your team's so, filled with so many young guys, just having the guy that you can show to him, like, hey, this is what you need to do day in and day out to be a successful major league player. I think there is some value in that for a rebuilding club. So I actually wouldn't mind if he were to stick around. And I mean, I'm really sick of all of the guys who I've heard of on the team being traded. Plus, Braun's my only current Brewer jersey, and I really don't want to have to buy a new one. <laughs> so it'd be cool if you just stuck around so that I can keep wearing it. I got uh, one too. I'm with you. Follow, a follow-up question on Ryan Braun. Um, who would win in a fight and why? Ryan Braun versus a wolf. <laughs> oh, Arian Foster. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with that wolf every single time. Well, actually, I take that back. Does Ryan Braun get a baseball bat? No. No, he the does wolf. not get a baseball bat. <laughs> the wolf every single time. Oh. Did, did anybody else besides Brandon see that today? I saw it. Oh, man, that was an interesting uh, little thread Arian Foster had going there. See, For those... I, I'm, I'm kind of with I'm kind of with Arian Foster. I think there are circumstances where I would take the human. I mean, is the human Liam Neeson? I should clarify that I saw the headline but didn't read the tweet, so I literally have no idea what they actually contained. The crux oh. of the matter is that former Houston Texan running back uh, Arian Foster believes that he could take a wolf in a fight because he has opposable thumbs and the wolf doesn't. Hmm. It's just like fighting a dog, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a pretty big sure. one. That doesn't sound like that to me. A, a, a really <laughs> big, strong dog with sharp teeth. It doesn't sound that bad to me, the 6'5 professional wrestler that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the baseball podcast. <laughs> to me, the five foot seven and three quarter inch out of shape dude uh, <laughs> fighting a wolf seems pretty terrifying. Yeah, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I could beat the wolf. I'm, uh, but but you know if you if you if you go in with the right strategy if you go if you go in pretty much willing to give up your left arm like. Or your your non dominant arm, and just kind of let them bite it, and then you have your right arm to just kind of go at them. Like I think I think there's a path to victory there. Not, I don't not think for, not for me. Not for I don't me. think I'd be willing to do that. Yeah. Well, I think I, think I would. I think I would faint at the sight of my own arm getting you know, ripped apart by a wolf. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that wolf would just not just tear my arm out of my socket but tear it clean off in about two seconds, and uh-oh, my cat is in here, and she shouldn't be in here. Audrey, get out of here. <laughs> Who would win in a fight? Ross or Audrey, the cat? Audrey weighs nine pounds, so I think I can take her. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. She's got those claws. Well, we got her for the from the Humane Society, and she was already declawed when they got her. Oh. So, well, she does. so I and definitely can take her. And you're the one with thumbs. Yeah, exactly. I feel, I feel like we're kind of avoiding talking about the Cubs. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, they're so good. It's time for the Cubs. Ask me anything. Well, I actually have a question from uh, 
Ken wanted me to ask. <laughs> Ken Maida, uh, from the effectively, I guess the most recently effectively wild episode, someone asked this, and so he wanted me to pass this along tonight. And if you oh, yeah, are the, this, could, this could be a free-for-all. This could be a free-for-all. If you're the worst team in baseball, would you pick Chris Bryant for one season, a season in which you're allowed to trade him, Theo Epstein as your GM for three seasons, or Joe Madden as your manager for six? I, well, you go ahead, Brandon. No, I'm taking Theo. I'm taking Theo. Yeah. Really? Okay. I'm taking Madden, and I can't believe I'm saying that. But oh man. Well, oh, I, I man. just, I just, what exactly? Okay, so Theo has done what he's done with the Red Sox and Cubs, two teams. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm not denigrating Theo at all. I think he's, if not the best, obviously one of the best. But two teams with very large payrolls, right? Would he be able to work the same magic with who's the worst team in baseball right now? The Padres. Okay. Would yeah. he be able to work the same magic in three seasons with the San Diego Padres? I say no. And Chris Bryant, maybe if you could ship him off for that, um, maybe at the deadline for some prospects, that's appealing. But really, Joe Madden for six seasons... As much as I don't like the guy, just the value of having a good manager for that long, I think is is pretty is pretty good. The only th- reason people think Joe Madden is smart is because of those glasses. <laughs> Take those off, and he's basically just an insufferable version of Mike Matheny. <laughs> That's good. Alex, those are your words. <laughs> I'm aware. I... Those those are Alex's words spoken whoa, 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 Eric's whoa. finger. Oh, those are Alex's words. He just I... didn't want to come in twice. <laughs> I told I told him to say. <laughs> um, well, I was being slightly facetious when I said that, um, and I, I think we all recognize that it's hard to quantify how much managers are worth and. Even so, they're probably not worth much, but I just don't see what Theo Epstein for three seasons for the worst team in baseball is really going to do for me. Yeah, man, maybe I'm leaning towards Chris Bryant. Rob, what are you taking? I, I, yeah. would, take, I would take Bryant. Because um, I, I, don't, I don't think a manager makes that much difference. Um, and I just agree with the idea that if you've got, I think the Padres take more than three years to get fixed. I agree. And, you know... You have a season of Bryant. You get a lot of. You can get a lot of uh, pieces for him, and then you know, you move on from there. Well, Theo. Okay, so Theo gets three years, right? But I imagine that in those three years, you're able to to hire a good staff, develop a good deputy, and kind of get the get the get the machinery going for. Uh, like a you know an organizational machine here and in San Diego. Yeah, sure. I mean, by by year by year three of the Epstein re- regime in Chicago, I would say that most of the most of the machinery was in place. Like at at some point, it's you know making sure it's making sure it works and acquiring the right players, but the, the structure is in place. Most certainly, and the Cubs were in a bad place when when Theo came to town. Um, 
If not, I, if, not for, if not for the Astros, the, they would have been the worst team. Yeah, and I, I know like the payroll they're operating with at the time, but the potential was always so much larger with a team like the Cubs than, say, it would be for a really bad Tampa squad or this current incarnation of the Padres, I think, than what Theo could pull off in three seasons. Um, I think Rob convinced me I'm taking Chris Bryant. And like I said earlier, Mike, Mike, uh, Joe Madden is just a glory boy, Mike Matheny anyway. There you go, Eric. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> what do you What do you think? I was putting my ice cream away. I had my headphones off. Um, <laughs> wait, I'm, wait, Eric. Yeah. What kind of ice cream was it? Just chocolate. What What brand? Uh, Aldi. Aldi has their own ice cream. Aldi brand ice cream is not bad. No, it was pretty good. Uh, I'm taking Theo, just because. You guys are crazy. I don't. I don't know. Because it's one forty-five in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and you just ate ice cream. I just ate ice cream. Fair and, uh, some almonds, and yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. Ross, I'd be feeling even better if Theo was the GM of the Reds. That'd help. Ross, what do you think? Point of clarification. I get Chris Bryant for one year. Does the team I'm trading him to only get him for the rest of that year and then he goes back to the Cubs? Or does the team I'm trading him to get to keep him forever? Well, I think the the thought being that he is a free agent and can sign with anyone. Uh, but me- he's probably not signing with your team because you're the worst. Give me oh. Theo. Oh, yeah, they don't take Theo. Theo easily not. Does Theo not gonna get much know, Does Theo know he only has three years? Like, is this he accidentally steps in front of a bus, or he knows I've got three years and then I'm going to do something else? He has three years, and then someone convinces him to run for Senate. Because if he can leave, like, a detailed 10-step, do this... No, that's what I'm saying. I feel good about that. Yeah. So so you guys think Theo Epstein has figured it out so much that he could turn around any team in three seasons? I think I think he can build a an organizational structure within three seasons that can lead to sustained success, even if that sustained success doesn't happen within three seasons. Exactly. Because the problem with Bryant, since it's one year free agent, you're not going to get that big of a haul for him. Right. Madden, if you're the worst team in baseball, for probably four or five of those six years, Wait a you're second. still going to be bad even with him. I disagree with you guys. You look at what the Cubs, you look at what the Yankees got for Raldis Chapman, who is a way less valuable piece than Chris Bryant. Way less valuable piece. I think you could get a decent haul for a, who is a top three player in baseball that would be valuable to the worst team in baseball. Especially to a team who is trying to make a run at the postseason, a team that has a deep farm system, kind of like the Cubs this year. I think there's potential there. I think you'd have to do it early in the season, though. Dave Cameron uh, once commented that pitchers 
are way more valuable at the trade deadline than they are at the beginning of the year because the trade deadline there are guys who are desperate to fill a pitching hole. You don't have a lot of guys who are desperate to fill a third base slash outfielder hole. So you wouldn't be able to enjoy him for very long. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because every team can use another dominant pitcher. Every team can use Chris Bryant. Well, yes, every team can use Chris Bryant, but I'm saying every team gets a huge upgrade adding a dominant pitcher. Not every team necessarily gets a huge upgrade over um, by adding Chris Bryant because if you're in the position to trade for Chris Bryant when you only get him for one year, you're probably already really good. Whereas even really good teams, if they can dump their fifth starter for a better starter, if they can dump their seventh relief pitcher for a role as Chapman, that's a huge, huge upgrade in one se- in the one season. Well, I will say that for Bryant, you you dump your worst corner player because he yeah. can play third, first, left, or right. Yeah, you can stick him in the outfit. Right. So, Here, I'll use the 2013 Cardinals as an example. They won 97 games, and they had Pete Cosma at shortstop. If we take the best shortstop in the league, um, that's absolutely um, a huge, huge boost to that club that I don't think a pitcher provides. I don't know. Now, now maybe it's different when we're talking about a, a best of five series than a pitcher is, yes, is very, very valuable, I guess. But I don't know. CC Sabathia pretty much single-handedly drugged the Brewers to the playoffs in 2008. Oh, I'm not saying it's never happened before. I'm just saying Chris Bryant is is an elite talent. Yeah. But, but what are the odds in one season that you get the Venn diagram of team that's good enough is in that ni- that nice perfect range where competing but not like the Cubs or the Dodgers or whatever where they're so far in front that like adding him isn't what's going to make the difference in the to make the playoffs because i really feel that's where you see a lot more of these big trades as teams that need it to make the playoffs if you're already guaranteed to win your division you're not going to be willing to give up that big of a prospect haul but when you only get the one year of chris bryant we just saw it this year with the cubs and the yankees right how much were the cubs up when they gave away torres for chapman they, they had the division one by that point, right? Yeah, it was pretty. They they were up. They were up by a lot. Yeah. But again, what Rob said that Dave Cameron's noted. Right, teams right. Just get crazy when it comes to pitching at the deadline. Fair Cause enough. Because you, you look at Araldis chat and you're like, that guy's going to throw the winning pitch for us in the World Series, and you can ah. guarantee that he's going to be in that position. I know he didn't throw the winning pitch in the World <laughs> Series. But that's what you think when you're trading for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you're trading for Chris Bryant, you think, well, he's going to bat third or fourth and probably not even come up in the ninth inning anyway when we need that big hit. So it's just easier to delude yourself into thinking the value of the pitchers more than the value of the hitter. And I think that's why pitchers go for more at the deadline and hitters go for more relatively either early, early in the year or in the offseason. Well, I certainly understand the rationale as to why pitchers are perceived to be more valuable in this sense. But I still think a player like Chris Bryant for a team that needs to fill that hole is is the more valuable player. 
But I also recognize I'm, I could be wrong. I still got Theo. Yeah. I still got Theo. All right, all right, all right. It's time for Cubs questions. Ask me anything. All right, as the guy who's got a dog that's going to wake me up in about four and a half hours to go out, <laughs> oh, no. let me ask you a negative Cubs question. Okay. okay. I love it. I look at the rotation. I see one guy who's ancient, <laughs> two guys who are in their 30s, one guy Hendricks had granted a career year, but it was kind of out of the blue. We don't know how sustainable that is necessarily. And the last I read, the number five uh, rotation spot is going to be a battle between Mike Montgomery, who has 23 career starts with a 4.23 ERA, and the indestructible uh, Brett Anderson, who in the last five years has had one year that he's gotten more than eight starts. So tell me why I shouldn't be concerned if I'm a Cubs fan that the rotation couldn't go south in a big way quickly. Well, I guess I guess the question is, do they go? Does it go south in a big way in 2017, or does it go south in a big way in 2018? Because I think I do think it's. I, I'm I'm not really feeling good about the rotation in 2018. Like, definitely not. I, I I think there's I think there's enough here to make it through this year. Um, I do think that there's I, I I think what what we haven't what we haven't really seen from the Epstein regime yet is this kind of uh, quantity approach to pitching paying off in the uh, in the rotation so it's not as if we are drafting and developing like a ton of dudes who could come in and be above replacement level out of the fourth and fifth spots in the rotation um, but that said I you know I'm, I'm, I'm confident in at least the first four being good enough to you know, keep us really good this year, and then I'm confident enough in the Montgomery Anderson Theo combination for the fifth spot to get us whatever we need to uh, to make it through. I mean, whoever that whoever that fifth starter is, they're not going to be making any playoff starts anyway. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. Unfortunately. Brandon, how many plate appearances does Javier Baez uh, see this season? Uh, what was what was he at last year? Uh, you know, I just had his page pulled up, but I uh, went away from it. So if you give me a sec, I will find it. Hold on, he had he had four fifty plate four hundred fifty plate appearances last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I think he's I think he's at probably a bit more than that. Uh, I think he's probably he's probably at five fifty. You know, I think he's still shy of six hundred because of how Madden kind of plays with the lineups. But uh, yeah, I think he's higher higher than last year. And, and this is the one team I do want to hear before all is said and done. Your your prediction for a win total? Okay. I said they're 
Pagoda's projecting uh, Kyle Schorber at 600 plate appearances. I kind of feel like uh, he's going to fall short of that, and that's where you bridge the gap between Baez's 450 or so that they're projecting and the 550 that you're expecting. Yeah, is that does Pagoda, does Pagoda have him have uh, Baez at about 450 again? Uh, they have him at 438. So okay, okay, yeah, within a couple of that. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how Madden plays with this lineup because it's because by by the end of last season, Baez was pretty much established as a as a Gold Glove type at second. So uh, you know, with that that probably moves Zobris to more outfield duty uh, with some second base time still. So. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see how it how it actually plays out with Madden's managing, but that's that's kind of why I don't see him getting the full you know six six hundred uh, approaching seven hundred plate appearances. Okay, I I guess I'll go next. You had mentioned that you're at least somewhat concerned that the. Uh, Cubs pitching staff will start to go downhill shortly, um, or potentially go downhill. Is it almost a given that they're going to have to re-sign Jake Arrieta next year, kind of no matter what he asks for, or would they dip into free agent pitching um, to fill that hole? Because, well, like we said, Lester and Lackey are both getting up there in age, and then Arietta's a free agent after seventeen. Um, I guess. How do you I see mean, that playing out? I guess. I guess it depends. It probably depends on whether they think Hendricks is a capital R real deal. Um, I think if they if they do think that he's a capital R real deal, then then they would probably be comfortable with with letting Arietta walk. And kind of figuring out the three, four, five spots in the rotation. Although I bet their hope would be that Montgomery establishes himself enough to uh, take one of those spots, and then they just figure out what to do with the other two. But yeah, I I don't I honestly don't think they re-sign Arietta. It's not something that I would rule out. But if you but asking me today, uh, I don't think it's I don't think he's He's a Cub in 2018. All right. So I guess the one difference between the Cubs and kind of the the Astros, the Royals, even you know going back, the Brewers, the Rays, these teams that built on the farm is the Cubs have roughly all the money. This is true. This is true. <laughs> so they the Cubs do have that. approximately all the money. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's true. It's true, but I I keep thinking about you know the the Cubs and how they're kind of viewing that money and where it's and where they need it where they need it to be allocated come you know 2018 2019 2020 and I mean these this this core of young hitters is going to get expensive pretty soon. Um, and it, not necessarily Rizzo. Rizzo signed a pretty team-friendly contract. But, you know, you're talking about Jason Hayward's 
contract becoming uh, a little more expensive, having to re-sign Chris Bryant, having to re-sign Addison Russell. Now, granted, these are you know these are years down the line, uh, Schwarber too. But you know that that money is going to have to come from somewhere. And if you're and if you commit thirty million dollars in twenty twenty four to uh, to Jake Arrieta because you don't want him to leave in 2019, and you think that's going to cost you Chris Bryant. Like, is that a move you're going to? Is that a signing you're going to make? I think because because there's one World Series in the bank, like they're they'll it'll probably lead them to be a bit more cautious. Fair enough. Eric, do you have anything? I think he's Eric? <laughs> Eric I, I, is gone. Yeah, I, I think he left and is just gonna ask. Just wants us to let him know when we're done, so he can. Oh, uh, you're right. Our name. All right, Brandon. Do you want to uh, give <laughs> us a prediction, and then we'll. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll call it. Oh yeah, there's there's a message. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I said it in the. Uh, I said it in the. In the. Vanish uh, to the pen preview, but I got. Uh, I got 100 wins, and uh, I think if we uh, if if we don't win the pennant, it'll probably be disappointing. But give me give me 100 wins and uh, and the pennant. Yeah, um, I do want I do want to go around real quick. Uh, uh, Eric's not here, but that's okay. We'll do the rest. What? Uh, how how would you define success for your team this year? What what is like? Uh, yeah, how are you, how are you measuring success for your team? And maybe it's maybe it is that you're playing in the wild card game, or maybe it's that you're contending for the division, or maybe it's that you're seeing some development from the right guys. What do you got? Assuming health. And that's a big assumption. Uh, I think anything short of the postseason would be a disappointment for the Cardinals. So uh, postseason will be the barometer for success. Ross, what is your what is your measurement of success for the Brewers this year? I think it's just seeing the young guys continue to make strides, particularly on the pitching side. I know. The farm system has been a little bit heavier on position player prospects, so there's a little bit more wiggle room that if one or two guys fail, they've got another guy or two who's an up-the-middle player to step in. But if you know if Josh Hader isn't actually a pitcher or a starting pitcher, if uh, Cody Ponce doesn't um, kind of step up, if Jorge Lopez can't find his pre-Colorado Springs form, then um, the, the farm system's kind of bearing on the barren on the mound side. So I think, yeah, mostly just to see continued growth from some of the younger guys, especially on the pitching side, and then just again that they're in that not quite competitive, but at least feisty range where they're winning 75-ish games or so, maybe a little bit less, I think would be a successful season for the Brewers. I, oh, I don't think I gave a prediction for them. I know in the article I went with 74 and 88, I think I'm going to stick with that here. So 
I think if yeah, if they can get right into that seventy-five win range, it would be a successful season. All right. Well, we made it through. We made it through all of the National League Central teams, and uh, we got some. Yeah, we had we had a pretty good talk over this. Uh, in the process, we lost two of our uh, two of our participants, both both of whom were in uh, both of our. Actually, it it kind of worked out. Both of our Eastern Time participants uh, have dropped off. That's uh, that's Eric and Rob. They also represent the two teams that play in Eastern Time. So hey, everything worked out well. Um, but that is going to do it for the NL Central show preview podcast. I'm Brandon Lee. I'm at Vanished to the Pen. You can follow us at Vanished to Pen. That's Alex who is a bully. You can uh, follow him at AlexCard79. Ross Buckowitz. You can follow him at Ross Buckowitz. Rob. Rob already signed off. Uh, he is at Cran underscore boy at a baseball prospectus. And then Eric Roseberry is at Eric Roseberry and at baseball prospectus and at the on baseball writing podcast. He just wrote, yeah, boy, into the chat box here. Eric, Eric, you're back. Does that mean you're back? Oh, oh his, mic is off. his mic is off. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> that, That'll, that's going to do it for the Adult Central Show podcast, and we're we're going to try to be with you this season again. So uh, keep an eye out for it. All right, thanks, everybody.